morning, everyone. We're so glad to see you here today. My name is Stephanie. I'm one of the pastors here, and we're just so glad that you're worshiping with us and joining in with us. A special welcome to anyone who's maybe here for one of the first few times. I know it can be intimidating to come into a new space, but we're glad you're here, and we really do want to welcome you. Make sure you connect with the connections table. We'd love to make sure that you're connected. So uh, Adobe said that this question, this community time question, was not a personal question, but I think this is a personal question, and I thought it would be a way for me to kind of get like a poll of the audience so that I can make some judgments, I mean inferences about who you are based on whether or not you have a planner or not or a, per a paper planner or a digital. I just thought it'd be a good way for Pastor Steph to get to know you, okay? So if you're willing, please let me know if you're somebody who uses a paper planner. All right. And do you pick it out based on how pretty the cover is? or how awesome the cover is. Yes, okay. Do you use matching pens? Like nice colors, coded? I know Anna does, that's fine. She doesn't have to admit it. All right, where are my digital planner people? All right, okay, yes. I used to be a paper planner person, and now I am a digital planner person, and I still have it color coded, and it's important to me. And because I am the person who has migrated from physical to digital, and it's color-coded and very important. I do have a question, and that is, who are the people that don't use planners? What? How did you get here? Like, how do you know where you're supposed to be at any time? How do you remember things like your, your birthdays or anniversaries or National Dog Day? That one's on Instagram, so I know that you got that one, but like, how do you, how are you even, look, look, here's the thing. I, I prayed about this, and I'm coming today ready to tell you, no planner people, that I don't understand you, but I accept you. And I love you, but I don't understand you. So here, here's the thing. Regardless of how you keep track of your time, whether it's a paper planner or a notebook or nothing, apparently, uh, is anyone else feeling like, here we are, it's September 12th, and when you think about what you have going on, it's like, from now until Christmas, you've got every weekend planned. Does anyone else feel like that's already happened? Like, we're like, it, it, I feel like fall is the time when things seem to fall into our calendars that we don't know how they got there. Does anyone else feel like that's the case? And then you look at it and you think, how did this get so full? And how'd this get on my calendar? I don't even want to do that, right? I feel that this is not an, a, a universal experience, but it's a common experience that a lot of us have. But I would say that this fall feels a little bit different to me. Maybe it does to you as well. Some have been calling this summer and into this fall the great reassessment. Has anyone else heard this being used? The great reassessment. This woman uh, writer, Heather Long, she writes in the Washington Post, and, and people say she coined this term over the summer. And the great reassessment is about the shifts happening in regards to how Americans work and how we see our work. You've probably seen and experienced that there's a labor shortage, there's people who are switching careers left and right and asking questions about their vocation. Some of you as supervisors are experiencing firsthand what it means that people are reassessing what it looks like for them to commit to their vocation. So whether that's been your personal experience that you are reassessing your vocation, people around you are. One study recently found that nearly two-thirds of U.S.-based employees that were surveyed said that COVID-19 caused them to reflect 
on their purpose in life, and nearly half said that they are reconsidering the kind of work they do because of the pandemic. Half are reconsidering the kind of work that they do because of the pandemic. So people are re-evaluating and reassessing their work life, unlike anything that's ever been seen before. But if you're paying attention, like I am, to the people around you, and maybe in your own life, it's not just work that everybody is reevaluating, is it? It's more than that. I would say that this disruption has been leading to the great reassessment of how we live our lives, the great reassessment of what are we actually living for. It's causing people to think about their priorities in completely different ways than they have, maybe ever, and for sure for a long time. So as Jesus followers, I want to say today that I think this is a critical opportunity for us, a critical opportunity in our lives. The conversation that we've been having, we're calling This Is Our Story. And we're talking about how we, the way of Jesus in the Gospels, and how we are people who want to take on the, the ways and the works and, the, and, and live out the words of Jesus, that this is what we want to be about. That it's not just that, that we're trying to merely prioritize some sort of religiosity, at least I hope that's not what we're trying to do, but we're saying how can we take on the story of Jesus and say this is our story and live out the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus. Being empowered, we talked about this over the last few weeks, being empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out the words, to live according to what Jesus said the works, to do what Jesus did. He said we would do what he did. And then finally, the, the ways to love like Jesus modeled, which is a pretty radical type of love. So when you read the words and the works and the ways of Jesus throughout the Gospels, I would say that it's almost impossible to miss that Jesus prioritized one thing over all else. Jesus prioritized one thing over all else and I would suggest that that is his relationships. His relationships. Even when it was challenging, even when there was a lot else pulling at him, even when there was a lot at stake, he prioritized his relationships. His relationship with the Father, his relationship with his disciples and the people who were closest to him, and his relationship with these crowds of people who he was coming to heal and to set free and to tell this good news of why he was now the Messiah coming to the world. What if our story as Jesus followers looked just so different than the world around us as we step into the great reassessment? What if we approached the great reassessment and we didn't make adjustments just for our own comfort or our own fulfillment, but for the true well-being of, yes, ourselves, but also our communities and our families, but also our neighbors? What if seeking first the kingdom of God was the main priority in our priority list and everything else came from there? The way of Jesus is a color-coded planner digitally on your phone. Wait. That's not what I meant. I'm kidding. The way of Jesus is not a planner, but a posture of prioritizing your relationships even when it's challenging. The way of Jesus is a posture of prioritizing your relationships even when it's challenging. I mean, if he would have wanted the angels to create like the most perfect planner ever, he totally could have, and it could have been better than all the power sheets and all the day timers. And scripture does not tell us that that happened, at least that we know. So 
The way of Jesus is not a planner, but a posture of choosing to prioritize people in your life, even when it's challenging. Today I want to look at two passages in the Gospels, uh, and they're similar but a little bit different. And the question I want us to ask is, how is Jesus prioritizing his relationships? And what does that mean for us? How is Jesus prioritizing his relationships? So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke 6, and uh, we'll have it up here on the screen for you as well. I want to read verse 12 through 16. And in this story, this is towards the beginning of his ministry, I want you to ask this question, how is Jesus prioritizing his relationships? On one of those days, one of the early days of his ministry, on one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Bummer to be the other Judas, right? He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. And then Jesus goes on to speak to his disciples there. How do we see Jesus prioritizing his relationships in this story? If you've been around Mill City for a little while, and if you're new with us, I want you to see this, uh, one of the ways that we think about this together. And uh, my friend Mike Breen, a British guy who lives here in the States now, I remember the first time he taught this to me, and it's stuck with me ever since. And we have this diagram here that explains it. That Jesus prioritizes three types of relationships in his life, and you see them all in this passage alone. The up in and out relationship. Jesus prioritized his up relationship with the Father. Jesus prioritized his in relationship with the disciples that you see him actually choose in this passage. And his out relationship with the people in need, with the people who God has called him to. And then we see one more thing, and that is that throughout the Gospels, Jesus' relationship with the Father is what directs him to know how to live out the in and the out relationships. His relationship with the Father propels him here. You see, the first thing he does is spend time with the Father, and then from there, he goes to those in relationships and to those out relationships. So we see in this passage alone, Jesus models some pretty reproducible things, I think. First of all, we see Jesus prioritize time with the Father, don't we? Now, I have never stayed up all night to pray. I don't know, that was just a confession. Maybe you have. But Jesus is, is spending that time when he can find it, to be with the Father. Now, it doesn't say that every time he's all alone and by himself, but that he's choosing to make time when he can. We also see here in this story that Jesus picks just 12 people to focus on deepening relationships with. Some of you are extroverts and you're like, 12 is a really small number. And some of you are introverts and you're like, 12? How, what? No. How about three? Cool. Three for you. That's fine. You, you see him taking this really specific steps to, to pick, to, to, to pursue these people who he's going to deepen a relationship with. And then finally, you see with those same people, those same disciples, 
and even, and even more people who had been following him, he steps into that out space to the crowd, to these people just full of needs, and he's healing people, and, and power is leaving him, it says, and people's lives are being changed. Did you also notice that when Judas is, is chosen right here early in this text, it, also, it already says this is the guy that's going to betray Jesus? And I point that out today to say that relationships are risky, aren't they? Even when you're Jesus, <laughs> relationships are risky. And so if you feel like some of us do, that it's, it's tough to be vulnerable and it's really difficult to trust people because you've been hurt before, I want to suggest that Jesus understands. He understands what it's like to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to welcome you into my inner circle even though you're a risky person. I want to look at one other text that's kind of similar, but it has a distinction that I think is worth noting. So it's Mark 6 now. So flip over to Mark 6, and we'll be at towards the end in verse 30. So this time, Jesus has, a little bit later on, and Jesus has sent out the 12 disciples and given them the task to live out the works, his works, the, when we talk about the works of Jesus. And so now they are the ones that are, are coming to people that have this evil spirits and, and setting them free and healing people and talking about who Jesus was and how incredible he had been to them in their experience. And so they're going out in twos, and then they're coming back in this story. And you can imagine that if you just saw the things that they saw, they're excited to be together, they're excited to share stories, they're excited to be, you know, just with Jesus again. And so they're coming in after they've been sent out and sharing all that happened. And now look, notice what happens. I want you to pay close attention to the distinction of prioritizing relationships in this story. Mark 6, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus to report to him all they had done and taught. Just imagine the energy they were sharing. Then, because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. Can, I mean, who can relate to that? Like, whoops, forgot lunch. Okay. And he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. Doesn't that sound great? Jesus says, come with me. So they went by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But... Many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. They were running around the lake to get to the other side. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place. Remember, they were going to a quiet place to rest. This is a remote place, and it's already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and, villager, and, and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And then they probably said to each other, and where's our dinner, Jesus promised anyway, right? But he answered, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. So, okay, just picture you being one of the disciples, You've come back, you're with Jesus. He says we're going to go to a quiet place, we're going to rest, we're going to get some food. It sounds awesome. So what happens here? They're going to get some food, but the people came and it changed their plans, didn't it? Now we could read this text and we could say, Jesus is not having good boundaries here. Has he not read the boundaries book? Someone get Jesus a copy of the boundaries book. Now that is one way we could look at it. But if you read further in this passage, you find out that the disciples still do get something to eat. 
Because if you continue on in the story, this is the story where they are a part of the miracle of feeding 5,000 people. And then there's so much food that everyone's stuffed, including them. And they are full. And the disciples then, after that, still do get some time away from the crowds. They wanted to get some time away as friends in that in relationship, but the out, the crowds, pulled them away from that time. So what's the lesson? The lesson is use a pencil in your planner instead of a pen. Right, obviously. No, that's not all plan. Okay, I'm, that's the la- I think that's the last planner joke. Okay. What we see here is that Jesus models prioritizing these relationships in ways that sometimes does not go as planned. And sometimes it's not exactly what you want to do. The way of Jesus is a posture of choosing, choosing to prioritize the people in your life, even when it's challenging. And when you follow Jesus into unplanned situations, this story would suggest that that's often where the miracles happen, even if it's not what you were hoping for at the beginning. When we started Mill City 13 years ago, some of you remember me telling the story, and there's something that I often say, and that is that we had our mission statement before we had a name for the church. We had our mission statement before we knew we were going to worship in Sheridan School 12 years ago. We, we had our mission statement before we knew pretty much anything, how to even start a church. But we had this mission, to love our community in the name of Jesus. And that mission is so intentionally about all three of these relationships. In the name of Jesus, you can do a lot of good things, but in the name of Jesus, with the authority of Jesus, with the wisdom from Jesus, the up relationship is what propels us to the in and the out, to love our community. What do we mean by community? Well, here we are, our community, to love our community in the name of Jesus. But we also mean our community outside of this place, right? Northeast Minneapolis, Sheridan School, every community represented by all of you, the places where you live and work and learn and play, all of your everyday spaces are communities to love in the name of Jesus. So so our mission is about the wisdom from Jesus and the authority from Jesus, the up relationship propelling us to love our church community and our closest friends and be committed to them, but also to press into the out and to live into those spaces where we might be uncomfortable, but we know that we go in the name of Jesus. And when we do that, miracles happen. Things happen that we never would have expected and things that wouldn't happen if it was just us going out on our own. This is our mission, to love our community in the name of Jesus, which means that we follow the way of Jesus to prioritize the people in our lives, led by Jesus in those relationships. So when you hear us say, loving our community in the name of Jesus, it's all of those things. It's deeply up, deeply in, and deeply out. So I want to I say thank you to those of you who filled out the community survey I've got a prize for you. I don't have a prize. Sorry, (laughs) that's a joke. No prizes, but thank you. You know, 165 people filled out that survey, and I'm so grateful that you did. There's so many things that we learned from that to hear from you about where you're at so that we can equip you better to live out this mission that we're talking about so that we can know as leaders, as staff, as covenant members, how we can be a church that keeps moving forward together. And one question that we asked was for you to rank some different statements to help us understand what is the motivation to even be a part of a faith community? What what motivates you to come and to to be in this room or to join us online? Like, why why would you do that? And so we heard from you, and here's the top three things that were very clearly the top three motivations 
for being a part of a faith community that you told us. First, that the mission of the community is clear and compelling. Second, connection with others from the community. And third, a community that challenges me to grow in my relationship with Jesus. Now, there was like 11 total things, but these three things rose right to the top. You ranked a priority of up, in, and out when you said this is why I'm even a part of a faith community in the first place. Because there's something about knowing that together we can do those three things that we can't do by ourselves in the same way. And I'm just, I'm really proud of that. It's so encouraging to hear that from you. But it's also a challenge to our team to say stay focused on this. This is why we're here. And we received that challenge. And, and as a pastor, we, I know that my team and our, our leaders here, those of you who are leaders here in our community, we, there's no perfect church. There's growth areas for every church. But I, I, I hear this clear motivation. And that's so encouraging to me to say this is what we need to keep pressing into. So I want to spend just the last little time here getting real practical, okay? Just real practical. So if you're a note taker person or whatever, we're going to get real practical. And I just want to talk about these relationships in our own lives. So we've seen Jesus model it here. We've talked about how this is something that we're invited into. And we might need to have a great reassessment when it comes to the relationships in our lives. And our work and our vocation might intersect with that because a lot of us spend a lot of time in our work spaces. So let's just think through these really practically. When you read through the Gospels, when you read through Jesus' life, and you see how he is intentional, it's not perfect balance. It's not a color-coded planner. It's not. It's not some sort of utopian thing. He is stepping into rhythms of relationship. That's why we use that term rhythms. Practically speaking, there's different seasons where we need to press deeper and deeper into different relationships. Some of you know, like right now, I'm feeling really disconnected from God and I need to press deeper into that up relationship. Some of you are, are here and saying, I'm not totally sure who the people that are closest to me really are and who I would call on, and that's that in relationship you need to press into. And some of you, as you think about this, you're saying, yeah, I, I want to be about this mission that God has to the world that God loves, but I'm not totally sure how I'm doing that right now, and I want to press into that. There's rhythms in our lives. And you and the people closest to you can discern that together, the up, in, and out rhythm. So let's just go through them. So up, what do we see in just the stories that we read today? We see that Jesus discerns with the Father. He discerns his relationship with the Father. The, the relationships that he comes down, right, it says he prays. He's with the Father all night. I don't think it's a coincidence that it's because the next day he was choosing the 12 closest people to him. That God the Father was giving him wisdom to know who to make that very important invitation to. And God makes that same promise to us. That when we press into our relationship, that the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom to say, who are the people in our lives that we should draw closest to? And then what else does Jesus do that very next day? He's healing all these people and he knew to have compassion on them in that second story, even though it, it was interrupted. There's times when Jesus is interrupted by the crowds and he says no. And then there's times when he steps into it. How does he know? Jesus says, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's pressing into that up relationship to propel him in to the out and the in relationship in his life. So when we are people who are seeking after God's heart for us relationally, we often say that that's the most important relationship. Not that that means you have to have more time in your calendar to have like a devotional time. That's a good thing. But 
Obviously, we're going to spend way more time with other human beings, but that the time that we do spend with God and the connection we have throughout the day gives us wisdom as we encounter people in our lives. Jesus discerns with the Father. Now, I just had an email sent to you 23 minutes ago. should be in your inbox if you get the emails from me. If you don't, let us know. And it explains this discipleship pathways stuff that we want to do. We want to resource you. We've heard so many people say, we want resources in the up and the in and the out. And so this is our best way to do that this year. Uh, there's other resources in your life you might have, but this is one thing we want to try to do this year. Uh, invite people into ways to, to connect with each other, to connect with some resources about connecting with God. There's a book called Sacred Pathways by this guy named Gary Thomas. He's a pastor. So we're kind of borrowing that idea from him. It's really not based on the book. But this idea of sacred pathways or that there's different paths that help each of us connect with God. And depending on our personalities, those pathways might be different. And that's a good thing. But we don't always represent all of those different ways to connect with God here in this room, for instance. So here's the five that we're going to focus on this year. I'll put them on the screen. Connecting with God through creativity. Connecting with God through nature connecting with God through activism, connecting with God intellectually, and connecting with God contemplatively. Now, as you listen to this, you're like, okay, maybe I'm this one. And some of you go, I have no idea which one I am. And that's okay. That, the point is to explore them and to discover. And so if you go and to that email, you'll see that there's a way where you can go in and you can actually take a little quiz, kind of see which one of these five things is at the top in the middle. But the purpose of that is because the up relationship is the most important. And if we can find those pathways to connect deeper with God, then from there we can be propelled into our in and out relationships. And so that's why we're using that as a way to kind of equip everybody this year. Through some groups, if you want to be in a group, if you want to get some personal resources for a group of people you already have or with your family or on your own, through equipping hour classes, all the stuff that will start in October. And if you didn't get that email, just go to millcitychurch.com slash discipleship and we'll make sure you get it later today. But I think what we notice here is that together Jesus is coming with these people to press into the up, to the in, and to the out. Sometimes Jesus starts talking to the Father just right there with everybody right there. Together we press into those things. Okay, so second, let's look at in. In. What do we see Jesus do? Jesus picks his people and commits. Didn't we see that in that first story? Jesus picks his people and then he commits to them. You see Jesus prioritize picking his people. I'm doing well in those, like, those are like tongue twisters. Prioritize picking the people. He's prioritizing this in his life. And as you read these stories, if you read through the Gospels, I mean, as you read them, you're going to see they were not always the easiest people to be friends with. Sometimes they just did not get what was going on. Who has felt misunderstood in their relationships? Okay, Jesus has. Sometimes they were just completely not available, not present, distracted. But these are still the people that G Jesus chooses to step into relationship with and to figure out how to form deeper and deeper relationships. I think that what we learn from Jesus is that he's intentional to choose his people and commit to them. Now, I know I just told you that I want you to sign up for the resources. And I do. Signing up is a good thing. We're always telling you to sign up for stuff. I get it. But here's the thing. We will help you connect with, with other people in discipleship groups and things like that, but I feel compelled to, to be honest with you about something. 
I have to confess something that I've found to be true, leading people for the last 20 years, and that is this, forming deep and profound relationships with people that you can truly trust is not something that you can sign up for. It's not. I mean, it's a place to get started. It's a, it's a next step. But anyone who's developed deep relationships, especially past college or, or earlier in life, some of you have had to develop deep friendships after those times in life, anybody would tell you that it takes a special kind of effort in our world today to deepen friendships as an adult, doesn't it? A special kind of effort. It means we have to go back to that discernment that we receive from the Holy Spirit to know what relationships that we're supposed to step deeper into are. It might mean that we have to say no to some relationships so we have time for the ones that we're called to go deeper with. I want, this is my hope, okay? My hope was that you all would be able to answer questions like this. Who are the people in your life who challenge you to live the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus? Who are the people that you could call at 2 o'clock in the morning when something super difficult is happening? I call that your 2 a.m. people. Do you know who your 2 a.m. people are? Who are the people that are willing to tell you hard things, but also willing to remind you how much you are loved when someone else who has no business is coming in and rejecting you in some way or frustrating you in some area of life? I, I genuinely wish that this was easier than it was because if I could, do, I wish you could sign up. I would have sign-ups all the time if it just magically led to people having deeper relationships because I feel this with you, how big of a challenge this is. Don't even get me started about the people with the little kids, right? You're like, look, and then they're teenagers and they're busier. It's hard. The challenges and the barriers are so real. This great reassessment has a lot of barriers to it, doesn't it? Have you ever thought about how many of us were taught when we were younger, maybe this is you, maybe not, were taught when you were younger that you're supposed to pray for your spouse and to make a list of what you'd hope for in your spouse? Uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but, you know, give me a little nod if that happened to you. All right. So I was told that. I was told that I was supposed to go and write this list. And I want to say that I feel like marriage, in my opinion, was hyper-focused on in inappropriate ways in the church when I was growing up. I get led to some weird thoughts about what one other person was able to do for you. And, and I, I mean, people were telling me to pray for a spouse when I was 15. I didn't get married for 20 years after that. But no time in that 20 years did any spiritual leader in my life tell me I should be praying about what kind of community I needed in my life. Like no time did anybody tell me to make a list of what kind of mentors I needed, of what kind of people I wanted to be able to disciple, about what kind of people I wanted to know who were my 2 a.m. friends. Why didn't we make 2 a.m. friend lists? Why weren't we praying for that? I feel like it's a little bit messed up that that's, the, and it's, I'm glad I prayed for you, J.D. Really grateful. Real grateful. But anybody who's married or is in a serious relationship you know there's no way that relationship's going to thrive if both people don't have other people they trust. There's just no way. So I want to challenge you today. If you don't feel like you have those people in your life, those 2 a.m. people, that you'll see how Jesus is modeling this. He's intentional. He pursues them. He doesn't wait till they pursue him, right? We're all in the, in the story. We're like, well, I'm a disciple. I'm walking around. No one's picking me. No, pursue the people. And sometimes you're going to pursue people and they're not going to be the people who want that deep relationship and then you're going to need to move on and commit to someone else. I get that. But I just want to encourage you. 
I know it's discouraging, but I want you to keep at it. We need to have these people in our lives that encourage us and do this life of mission with us. And maybe with us doesn't mean in person sometimes, but they, they have your back as you're stepping into the mission that God has for you in your life. So finally, out. Jesus prioritizes those that the Father calls him to, even though it's inconvenient. Those crowds, picture this, the crowds were running along the side of the lake while they were in the boat trying to get to a quiet place to rest. I mean, picture people just being like, hey, like just running, and they get over there, and Jesus has compassion on them, and I want to suggest because he discerned that from the Father, and they stop what they're doing, and he has compassion on them. I'm just going to tell you, I do not like being inconvenienced. My husband, pray for him about that. I don't like being inconvenienced. I don't like that feeling. I, I, I know I made the jokes about the planners, but I like when there's a plan and we stick to the plan and the plan lines up the way I want it to. Like, that's my personality. I like that. But the problem is people. <laughs> and the problem is me. Because I'm not as consistent as I like to think I am. My life is really full, like a lot of yours is. So not only do I have to be willing to be inconvenienced, I have to be very intentional. I have to be very intentional. For instance, this last year, I signed up to be a part of a, a racial justice cohort with a bunch of other pastors. We had to meet every three weeks for an hour and a half, and I didn't want to do it all the time. I thought this seemed like a good idea, but now it's filling my time. But I look back on this year, and I see how much I grew and how it propels me into an area of life that I'm committed to growing in the rest of my life. And now I'm leading a group of other pastors through this. And it's hard to be intentional because there's other things I could be doing with my Friday morning. But this is what God's called me to because of my up relationship with God. I'll also confess that J.D. and I moved over the winter. And we went this entire summer without inviting any of our neighbors into our yard. We live on the corner. Like, it's not even that hard. Just, like, open the gate and they'll come walking in probably. We didn't do it. And we talked the other day and we're like, is there time before it snows? Probably not. Get out the gloves and welcome them over to the backyard. We didn't do it. We didn't make the priority, even though I'm talking about that all the time. Who is God calling you to love? Will we prioritize seeking first the kingdom of God in all the places that God's already had? It's already where you are. The places God already has you. I'm not even talking about necessarily getting into different spaces. But you're among your neighbors, among people who need to experience the same experience of love that Jesus was offering to the people that he encountered. Who is God calling you to love? I want to suggest that the answer to that question is if you ask him for it. If you ask God, who are you calling me to love this year? Because I'll tell you this, it's not going to be every single person. You, Jesus is going to give you Specific opportunities. Jesus discerns his relationships with the Father, the up. Jesus chooses his people and he commits. And Jesus prioritizes those that the Father calls him to, even when it's inconvenient. The way of Jesus is a posture of prioritizing your relationships, even when it's challenging. I'm going to invite the band to come up as we close today. Here's my, here's my challenge to you. Try to find some time this week just to, to get some space. And you can bring out your planner, especially if it's got a pretty cover, or your calendar. It might be helpful to have it there. You don't have to. And just surrender your time to Jesus this fall. 
If you surrender that time, there might be some things that Jesus says to you, you can take that off your calendar. You don't need to be in that book club. You've been in it for five years. It can be done. You, you don't know if you surrender your time what Jesus might lead you to, but I want to encourage you to do it. To say, what would it look like for me to step into intentionality in my relationships this fall? The great reassessment that we have. Jesus says in John 13, one of my favorite quotes, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Pick your people. Prioritize your relationships. The great reassessment is not just about our calendars. It's about our hearts. It's about our posture and it's about our lives. Jesus prioritized relationships all the way to the cross, didn't he? Jesus went to that cross and took on that brokenness and sin for those disciples that he loved, for those crowds who always wanted his attention. He went to the cross and took all that upon himself to prioritize his relationship with his mom who's watching as her heart is breaking, but also to prioritize his relationship with Peter who's hiding somewhere because he just told people he doesn't even know Jesus. And he still goes to that cross. When I said that, that Jesus, the way of Jesus is a posture of choosing to prioritize people even when it's challenging, I wasn't kidding. Talk about a challenge. Jesus took on a challenge in a way that we will never fully understand. But he came back to life and sent us the Holy Spirit so we would have guidance as we took on the challenge of prioritizing the relationships in our life. Starting with making ourselves available and our, to our relationship with Jesus, to, our, to our, the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. So I encourage you as we go into this time of worship, just to, to think about what it would mean for you to have a posture of availability to God when it comes to your relationships. Because I know from experience, it'll be one of the most meaningful postures you could take as you go into this fall.